Hello, Chris. Hey. It's been a while. I know, I had to hide during the elections. I think we all had to hide a little bit. I crawled into my corner. I was building a bunker, that's why. Were you hoarding canned goods? I was hoarding candy, some Twinkies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure those would have lasted throughout a Mitt Romney presidency. <laughs> Did they last th throughout the weekend after election day? Like, did, how long did they last? If that if that story was true, I would have probably made a cake of them and ate them on election day, just to oh, deal. Nice. Yeah, to deal with the stress before the announcement that Obama won. In, and to be celebratory. celebratory. Yeah, your candy cake would have been my drinking <laughs> candy cake. An appropriate candy cake for the Mayan apocalypse. Um, I was thinking like a chocolate volcano. I cake. think that is completely fitting. Right? I mean, what else? What kind of dessert would you serve at the end of the world? Mm. I mean, you could serve airplane food. I mean, if it's the guaranteed end of the world, wouldn't you at least consider serving human? Serving man, as it were? Well, I mean, yeah, if you are curious... <laughs> about the that's I'm your last kidding. chance I'm just kidding just I'd like... probably go with like cookies and ice cream <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to see if I could get you on board with it well, obviously was... you're too good a man to cannibalize even at the end of the world no I was actually thinking because we just saw uh, Silence of the Lambs musical oh so nice it got me thinking about that like what would Hannibal Lecter do <laughs> <laughs> like that would be the last thing you would ask now, he would probably go the opposite and eat a cookie? Yeah. <laughs> just like an ice cream cone. Just his last No chance. one expects Hannibal Lecter to go out just licking, licking an ice cream cone <laughs> on, a, on a nice summer day <laughs> as the meteors rain down. <laughs> That's an awesome image. <laughs> I'm like just constructing it visually right, in right, my head. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's like layer after layer and <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, <laughs> sir Hopkins, pardon me. I don't know what you're up to right now, but boy, have we got a movie idea for you. The only catch is, when is it supposed to be? I don't know. I'm a fan of the Illuminati on Facebook, and they remind me every day. I oh, think that's it's, true. They I do think give daily countdowns. 13 days now? I think so. What do you think will happen? Like, do you think people well, are going to think there's going to be like mass suicides and like... Crazy. Oh, I hope so. It would really get our population numbers down globally and reduce our greenhouse emissions. All right. Uh, and no, that, that is, of course, a terrible, terrible joke. It'd be natural selection if intelligence is getting... Exactly. To start with, it's not actually an apocalypse. It's not anything predicted by the Mayans as the end of anything. It's not their end of the world. It's not their end of their religion. It's They have a cyclical calendar based on wildly varying spans of time that repeat in various cycles. And a lot of those cycles happen to intersect at a particular point in December 2012. But again, being cycles, <laughs> they are things that restart. All of those cycles that are ending are restarting according to their calendar, which again is not a calendar that anyone actually goes by anymore. But even by that measure, <laughs> it is not the end of the world. But it seems like why the fact that so many people think that it is and react to it that it is and how many YouTube videos I see about Nibiru and how many like <laughs> and Planet, like, X. Planet X and like 
I mean, I'm glad this hysteria happened because I would have never entertained the thought that our ancestors were lizards living on a planet and they get to mate with our species like once every, I don't know, I forget the date. If you know of any conspiracists, but that's um, all it is. There are conspiracists that believe that lizard people still live among us and have infiltrated the highest levels of government. So wait, the writer of V was actually a conspiracy theorist? No, no. There's this. There's this British chode named uh, David Ike, uh-huh. who's been in the conspiracy culture now for like decades um but his main theory is that lizard people are real and they live among us and they've infiltrated our government well that's the premises of the show v is it yeah that's exactly what the show v is about um, it's about i, don't, I liz- don't know maybe it was like maybe that was adapted from him or something it was literally lizard people and human skin taking control over humans Wow. So That's you're what saying, that show is So you're about. saying maybe David Icke just like watched a pirated VHS <laughs> of V and thought it was like an expose that someone had documented <laughs> and then left for him? <laughs> I'm sure that would clarify things a lot for David Icke, but it might really disappoint him. At the same time, part of me wishes that the calendar was true. You know, like, there's a little part of me that gets kind of, like, ignited every day. Like, when I watch television, you know, like, today I was at the gym watching TV and there was a guy in a banana suit, like, losing his (laughs) shit over winning a moped. And I'm like, like, I don't, I'm looking around to see if anyone is reacting the way I'm reacting to what I'm seeing. And I'm like, mental institutions never went away. Now they're just oh, no. profiting on them, and they're in. Oh yeah, you know, they, it's like they let all on the television. crazies hide in plain sight now, or give them shows. Yeah, or like Honey Boo Boo Child. Like I know we said we'll talk about it, but she's kind of she's not really being talked about as much as we when we initially wanted to talk about her. But it's like all these crazy people on TV, and part of me goes, I really hope the Mayans <laughs> were. Well, yeah, there's right. this. There's always this desire for a a hellfire of cleansing justice or something to like purge the earth of the scourge of humanity, like to get all the bad people. The only problem is any scourge of humanity would take out all of humanity, not just the bad people and not just the people we think are bad right now. Right. But at the same time, humans and especially groups of humans... We have something apocalyptic about us, and I'd, I I think it's pretty clear in the mass market culture that we're making right now. There are a lot more stories of dystopian future hellscapes than like Star Trek, which mm-hmm. is people mostly getting along all right. over the universe. <laughs> EP, also there's no money. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's embedded in our sort of psyche you know we know that things go in cycles of birth and death and we feel like i don't know if we feel like we're at the pinnacle of humanity but i think humanity always feels like it's the pinnacle of humanity i feel like (laughs) i feel like rome felt the same way or all these oh yeah exactly but then 
But we live in the last remaining global empire. Yeah. But I mean, once that falls, I mean, I feel that's what we feel is apocalyptic. Like we need to collapse. Like things get so entangled and so large that the only that way to change like that the only they, one they, that the only route that we can imagine to anything changing is some kind of like a, violent a massive upheaval right but that doesn't work but it doesn't work i think transformation is much a better tool for like growth and collapse and rebuilding cuz rome collapsed but it just got rebirth as pretty much the united states yeah and it, that's collapsing or britain you know but, you know, Britain, I feel like, transformed. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. They haven't They're, collapsed. I feel like there's exactly. always a point where... They evolved. Yeah, you either evolve and transform your ideology or you, you get you insist on this old ideology and that will cause your nation to collapse or whatever civilization it is, you know? Mm-hmm. England, they just... All right, well, the queen is just... She's fun. She but has see, agility like still, and it's things. Still, it's, it's hard to unwrite the old story. Oh, yeah, story. you were talking about that, yeah. It's funny how much uh, the UK has grown in some cases, like in some ways beyond America in terms of some social programs. But the European Union is fucking on fire and falling apart. Right. And the, the work of real change is not one that comes from some massive external event that will completely resolve in the favor of people that you think are the good people. Right. I mean, <laughs> it comes in the form of like politics <laughs> and working on issues and shit and making people informed and telling stories. But individuals need to care about that. Exactly. I mean, it's like, it's what happens in the middle East. We just take in an army. We're like, we're going to bring you guys freedom. But it's like, unless they changed it, tyrants at home unless they change the story they want to tell themselves about themselves and who they are and what they want to do and that's why like to me a massive mind apocalypse to cleanse humanity will be like us going into iraq us being the apocalypse and iraq being planet earth you know that's a pretty apt metaphor for what we're doing now (laughs) i mean you know what fracking is right (laughs) that's pretty much we are iraqing it even rhymes with fracking (laughs) Um, mission like it's not desert storm it's fracking freedom (laughs) (laughs) operation fracking freedom when will we look back at this era and compare it to the mccarthy era and i hope we are lucky enough to be able to look back on this era (laughs) (laughs) and i'll just stop there This is the By That I Mean podcast. and I. Oh, we haven't Pearson. even introduced ourselves yet. <laughs> See, it's been a long time. We needed, we needed this talk. <laughs> we absolutely needed this talk. I think the apocalypse was forestalled, postponed, at least a little while, thanks to what happened slightly before this podcast on the election. I was occupied fully with a film festival for the entire week surrounding election day. But thankfully, I had the opportunity to be glued to a high-resolution television set for the entirety of the 36 hours. Did you have any doubt that he was going to win? I mean, yes. You think they might have stole the election? Only because of the voter suppression campaign. Because the Republican Party was so effective in pushing laws that made it more difficult for people to vote, more difficult for 
likely Democratic voters to vote. Um, I thought they would depress turnout enough to make a difference, but they didn't. I actually feel that was a campaign to get out the vote. That's a brilliant. I mean, in in hindsight, the Democratic Party could not have asked for better campaign fodder. Right. You know, from the forty-seven percent bullshit on Romney's part to everything Paul Ryan was and stands for to the the voter ID laws and the voter suppression campaign. Democrats could not have written right. a better thing to oppose than everything the Republican Party stood for. And that's not going to change after this election because the lesson that Republicans have learned from it already is that they just weren't sufficiently conservative. That's what they said last time. Like that's it's like exactly what's causing them to lose these elections is what they think they need to be more of. It's insane. But I'm glad. I feel the more they push to the right, they're cornered now. I feel like they're starting to react in some really crazy ways to appeal to the most extreme. They're like, well, we'll we're losing the middle. So let's... Oh, they've, lo- <laughs> they've <laughs> lost the middle. And for a long time, they've dragged the middle along with them because being able to divide people and make people afraid is a very effective tactic. But thankfully, there were few enough white people in this country that fear as a decider of national elections didn't actually carry the day to an even greater extent, obviously, than just the presidential election. A lot of Republicans were voted out of Congress. A lot of new Democrats who were actually liberal were voted into the Senate, including Elizabeth Warren, the first out lesbian senator ever, Tammy Baldwin. I think the first openly bisexual member of Congress ever. Actual change happened all in one day. A couple states legalized weed took that slight facet of the culture of fear out of play for once. Legalized it for commercial use. It wasn't just legalized like for medical use. For those well, who are for not recreational following, use right. and yeah. That's such a social taboo. It's, you know? it's a huge social taboo. And it was amazing to see the uh, amount of voters who supported it. Yeah, they got commanding majorities in Colorado and in Washington. Much as with the gay marriage question, it's I, I think what changed for me on election day was being certain now that it's really a matter of when, as far as gay folks in America being treated like actual human beings and drugs that don't actually kill people not being criminalized and finally declaring an end to the war on drugs. Change is going to happen. Change is a thing that happens. You can be on the receiving end of it or you can be part of it, but it's kind of inevitable. Just as you said, the real change comes in participating and trying to determine the course and set a decent course for the kind of change that is going to happen. Right. And I, well, part of it, I feel also this election, I, I think we talked a little bit about this before the election, is that this wasn't just an election of policy. I mean, obviously the policies were very different, but it was an election between whether few rich people can buy the elections in this country or if the people of this country will have a say. You know, I mean, to me, it was more than just a kick in the face of sort of right-wing conservative agenda, but it was also sort of a reminder that it doesn't matter how powerful these corporations are or how powerful these rich donors are, 
you know, the majority of Americans control this country. Well, yeah, and, and even with a Supreme Court not on our side, um, exactly as you put it, a, a group of 17 rich folks couldn't actually buy a presidential election. Um, and that doesn't mean they won't be able to in the future. Right. That doesn't mean that, it, well, because what I've read recently is what the response of the Koch brothers has been to the presidential election is to kind of uh, become even more determined to work on a state-by-state level to take over the legislatures there and install their cronies in there because it's obviously easier just in terms of scale. Um, And also their multi-multi-multi-millions of dollars go much further on a local level. But still, for now, in this instance... A large majority, resounding majority of Americans said, um, no. And so that was, that was quite hopeful to me. And there's been like change, building on the change since then. The shift in America in the public opinion of kind of gay and lesbian folks and eventually transgender folks, not nearly enough yet, but the, the change in opinion, even over the last 10 years has been huge. And following from Election Day, when a couple more states were added to the map of marriage equality in America, a couple days ago, the Supreme Court announced that it would actually take on a case involving Proposition 8, and it would take on a case involving DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act. I was surprised they took on Proposition 8, actually, because they usually tend to steer away from really hot social issues at the time. But this, I mean, this court... Despite being conservative, they've I feel they've taken on a lot of social issues and they voted I mean they've gone with the progressive movement, I think, on social issues. I think they've gone the libertarian. Time. Okay. Like I, I think that's where the more conservative or at least um Alito and Roberts are more kind of Libertarian, let folks do what they want, but still let money rule everything. Uh-huh. Um, Scalia is definitely rabidly anti-gay and anti-everything. Yeah, he he actually came out saying it's no-brainer that sodomy should not be legal. He is an incredible asshole. I had to check if that was an Onion article. I can't tell. Like, I honestly can't tell if it's a Republican or an Onion article. I don't know if that means that Onion writers are more evil or Republicans. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly don't know. This is from the Huffington Post. The United States Supreme Court will review the decision by the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals that struck down Proposition 8, a 2008 law which banned gay marriage in California. Now, see, here's the fine-tooth comb distinction of this case. The appeals court, in their decision, said that California couldn't take away a same-sex marriage right that had been granted by California's Supreme Court. A decision in favor of gay marriage could set a national rule and overturn every state constitutional provision and law banning same-sex marriages. From what I've heard, like, it's not as likely that they would actually uphold Proposition 8. Like, at worst, they would let the ruling of the appeals court stand. I see. Because the appeals courts overturned Proposition 8. Right. Which would mean that 
Prop 8 would be overturned in California, but, not, but it wouldn't change the laws in any other states. I see. So that could be one possible outcome for this case. But they're also hearing this case. Um, they're also hearing another case um, that involves a provision of the Defense of Marriage Act, known by its acronym DOMA, that defines marriage as between a man and a woman for the purpose of deciding who can receive a range of federal benefits. Four federal district courts and two appeals courts have struck down that provision. So it seems that in the courts, they're heading in the right direction. It really could actually be that in 2013, marriage equality will be the law of the land in America. That will be amazing. It would be ridiculous, but it's very possible. And that's, again, like there's a lot to be hopeful about. And I, I think like gay activists and gay activist groups should be kind of looked at as a model for how to run a successful social movement that changes hundreds of millions of minds in a very short amount of time. And where it has succeeded has been in, you know, the very qualities that you were talking about earlier as like the keys of a successful life, like living authentically, like loving who you love, being open about it to other people. So I, I think there's there's plenty to be hopeful for, even in the case that the impact of that Supreme Court ruling doesn't extend to the whole country. It's still, in my mind, just a matter of when, not if the right kind of change is actually going to happen. It's like, it's almost surreal. Like, can you imagine that in a year, the entire country will be, I mean, gay marriage would just be legal? Like, it's surreal. Like, we can say it, but it sounds, it's almost like when when interracial marriage got legalized suddenly. And that wasn't even popular at the time, you know? I think a larger portion of states at the time had overturned um, miscegenation laws, which which were laws banning interracial marriage. Um, but so the worst case scenario is if they just uphold the lower court's rulings, does that mean all the states in the ninth district will have legalized gay marriage? Do you know what I mean? Like it's a technical law question. What's in the ninth district? Let's see. Where's like just basic info? I feel Yahoo Answers is a better source of information than these government websites about <laughs> any, like, information. It's so true. <laughs> what is it? Answers.yahoo.com? Yeah, I just Google it, and usually it comes out top. Ninth Circuit. We're trying to figure out if Yahoo Answers is more useful than God a government it. website in I- figuring out which states... Maybe we should have a live podcast where this would be something people call in. (laughs) (laughs) Where people could be bored in real time. (laughs) Okay, it's Alaska, Arizona, California, Hawaii, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, Oregon, Washington, and Guam. I hate that Utah is not part of those states because that would have been so sweet. Uh. You know, I mean, so what happened now if, I mean, we're saying worst case scenario, the lower court's ruling is upheld which is the ninth circuit court federal court ruling they could have marriage equality in california but then overturn the defense of marriage act right which would mean i believe that every single anti-gay marriage law right. in the country would be instantly nullified especially pertaining to pretty federal. hilarious Especially for federal uh, level, you know what I mean? Especially for people who have relationships with international people who they can't marry 
and give the right for citizenship here. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and there's it's ridiculous. There's been pushes to get the State Department and and President Obama to allow multinational same-sex couples to be able to pool benefits, you know. But again, that's one of the bajillion T rights that straight couples who get married get to have that gay folk do not. But they don't even think about it as a right, you know? Well, yeah, it's a it's a privilege thing about privileges is you don't usually know that you have them right what i'm trying to figure out is the best case scenario Mm -hmm. if the supreme court legalizes gay marriage everywhere that would have meant that the campaign that the mormon church ran against gay marriage would have ultimately legalized gay marriage in all of this country right i mean the pro prop 8 people would have again it's it's like the mormon church is bankrolling our freedom right now <laughs> 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 mormons if you're listening to this podcast and why wouldn't you be please just send me your money directly <laughs> Skip the middleman of your bigoted, hateful campaigns. It's a wedding gift from the Mormon church to all the gays. Exactly. Freedom is in our registry, apparently. But it's, this is like this irony is as awesome as the irony of the voter suppression laws becoming such a huge get out the vote campaign. And it's what happens when hateful people are completely authentic about what they believe and then reveal themselves fully to everyone else for exactly what they are. And when that hate can be disguised, when it can be packaged as a good cultural value or something, then people can pick it up and run with it again you know there will always be wedge issues that right-wing movements and people who want you to be scared will use but it's also possible to defeat them right and like you said like the truth will pretty much destroy those people i give a lot of this sort of the rapid development of progressive movements to the internet also this is why internet freedom is so important you know, because yeah, it's absolutely. it's like it's like a tool for spreading the truth. It's like when um, on on day of election, like election day, someone uploaded a uh, a YouTube video of some of uh, one of those uh, voting machines, electronic voting machines that was rigged for Romney. Have you seen the video? Um, I don't know if I saw it. I heard about it. But though. someone mm-hmm. uploaded. So he went to vote, and he tried to vote for Obama but the machine kept switching the vote to Romney <laughs> oh, and he said he tr- he said he tried the other buttons as well but <laughs> none of them were broken the only button that was broken is whenever he pushed Obama it would uh, register to Romney and then he said he complained to the vote to the people at the voting booth and the woman told him don't worry about it everything will be just alright <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm just imagining um, someone like tree trunks, you know, just saying, <laughs> don't work, don't worry. But I was like, who, how can a, a worker at a voting booth say, oh, your vote is not being counted. Don't worry about it. That's only part of it, though, because, I mean, exactly as you said, it was the push for the voter suppression policies that got Democratic groups and progressive groups organized to get people properly registered to vote to make sure to verify their registrations 
to counter not only the right-wing groups that were out watching people at the polls on election day as well, but also to um, use the internet and leverage all the new forms of technology to make sure that people are able to cast their ballots correctly. I mean, like, it's it's even more important in countries that don't have, like, a representative democracy. Internet freedom itself is a facilitating medium for building the kinds of systems that will make these countries have representative governments in one form or another. Like, it's the organizing power of exactly that technology that's so needed. Right. And that's another thing that we do take for granted. America's broadband system is for shit, but you're exactly right that we are completely reliant upon it. In a way, it's become so omnipresent to us that, that it's kind of invisible. Right. It's like we, we don't even, we're not even aware. Now it's just a, a, a gold field. Like people are just. Well, yeah. And we're also not aware of like the infrastructure that it takes for that to be able to exist. Right. But I mean, the power it harnesses in making real change in people's lives, you know, that YouTube clip got uploaded and within minutes it was like shared hundreds of thousands of times and they sent in someone to replace it. Like that's by the time the media would have gotten that report and showed up on the scene and filmed it. <laughs> the election would have been so... You think they would have shown up on the scene and filmed it? No, but in the... I don't even think they would. I, th- I think they would have had, like, a Fox News clip attacking that person uh-huh. as, like, a Hitler-loving fascist or something by the end of that day. So we're thankful for Obama. We're thankful for all the social change. We're thankful for... Is this a Thanksgiving episode? I don't know. <laughs> well, this is like late, th- delayed Thanksgiving. A delayed Thanksgiving, <laughs> but it it really felt great that we're moving in the right direction. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's just like the shit of the world, though, still floats up. Yeah. You know, you're like mentioning the the internet freedom thing, and it makes me think of Syria. Oh yeah, the the death toll has topped forty thousand in the civil war in Syria right now. But I don't even know why it's called a civil war. There's no civil war. There's a regime that's destroying its people. A civil war makes me think that there's two different factions that have two different ideologies or controls of the country, but there's not even that second faction. There's rebel forces. Like, I don't know why it's called a civil war. I don't know what... Well, I mean, they've... And this is from the New York Times. The United States is moving toward recognizing the Syrian opposition as the legitimate representative of the Syrian people. American officials who favor the move are hoping to use formal recognition as a reward to the opposition for uniting opponents of the Assad government inside and outside Syria and fleshing out its political structure so that it can play a credible role if Mr. Assad is ousted. But who is the opposition? Are they like religious radicals? One of my cousins just fled the country and she said she doesn't know who this opposition army is. No one knows. She she said you look at their faces and you don't know where they're from. We don't know who these people are. They just know there's an opposition force. But even the people living there don't know who the opposition force is. They don't know their agenda. They don't know. They just know there's a force so that's reacting have, to the violence. So they don't have like buy-in from the local communities is what you're saying? My cousin lived in the capital, so she was actually in a regime-controlled oh, okay. area. So she said when people in the capital see these, like the Syrian Liberation Army, they don't know who these people are. Mm. 
This is from The Guardian. A huge battle, perhaps the decisive one of the Syrian civil war, is about to erupt in Damascus. The UN announced it was withdrawing non-essential staff, and the rebels, flushed with arms captured from strategic military bases, money, and surface-to-air missiles are moving in. They're not strong enough to take the capital, but nor are they in any mood to withdraw. Al-Assad has ringed the city with a force 80,000 strong and is reported by his Russian interlocutors to have lost all hope of either victory or escape. And they are actually talking about like the, do you know who, who are the Alawites? They're the uh, religious minority that's the controlling party of Syria. Because this, this article is saying about 4,000 of the 27,000 officers in his officer corps are Sunni, and about 1,800 of those have defected. About 22,000 of his officers are Alawite. And the number of defections from those ranks is in the single figures. Right, because that's the controlling uh, religious minority. But I don't know why. It seems like with Libya, there was almost an immediate military response. I don't understand like the lack of sort of response from the United States or other Western countries. Okay. Like well, that's and, what and this article, this Guardian article, is actually it goes into exactly why America hasn't taken as military a response to Syria as it did to Libya, primarily because of Russia. Oh, right. Because Russia has been Syria's biggest ally. And also, apparently, according to the same Guardian article, Russia completely misread the Arab Spring. Like, there were some... The article says some otherwise distinguished foreign policy analysts in Moscow persuaded themselves that the Arab Spring was not a popular revolt, but a color re- a color revolution started by the CIA. There's rumors like that in Syria too, like right. But I feel every well, and now Vladimir Putin is saying that Russia is not like the defender of the current government in Syria. Not anymore. Yeah, because um, they even sent in a um, what do you call the ships that carry aircraft? Aircraft carrier? (laughs) (laughs) That was my ESL moment of the day. (laughs) ESL moment of the day. (laughs) But they parked one in the waters next to Syria. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure America didn't want to create a second Cold War. (laughs) Because I feel like Russia is stuck in that phase where they keep trying to bring up the Cold War like it's still happening. You know, but to reinstate themselves as some sort of power, but I feel like it's like they haven't outgrown. It's like this breakup and they're still not over it yet. Well, and also they haven't been able to sustain the kinds of social movements that can promote change like that on that big a scale. Yeah, going back to Syria, though, America's response has been more covert, I would say, Mm -hmm. much more covert than Libya. But a couple weeks ago, Assad shut down the internet in Syria. Right. Yeah, the the traffic outcoming from Syria dropped to zero. Yeah, this is from Thursday, November 29th. The U.S. tracking firm Renesis said all of Syria's international internet connections were shut off at 12.26 p.m. on Thursday and remained down throughout the afternoon. Syria's information ministers told state television that terrorists targeted the internet lines. But America has provided some 2,000 communication kits, pieces of equipment, quote-unquote, that are designed to be independent from and circumvent the Syrian domestic network, keep them secure from regime tampering, from regime listening, and from regime interruption. 
So exactly as you said earlier, I think there's vastly more opportunity than America has currently pursued in actively deploying internet freedom in countries that don't have the infrastructure for it. Um, and I think that's an and in countries where the infrastructure has been set up to oppress people like China. That's almost more powerful than giving them weapons. Oh, it's vastly more powerful because the, weapons make it possible for people to set up um, power by fear. Right. It allows them to project power or it allows them to waste their power by using the weapons and taking other people over and raping, pillaging, sacking, you know, but it doesn't put in the tools to create slightly better societies than the one you just tore up. But even so, the hunger to fund that is non-existent in America, basically. Meanwhile, our whatever it was, like 700 $40 billion defense budget just flew through Congress. It's it's going to take an active change in the country of the story that we tell ourselves about how we respond to problems and how we liberate people. And the country has still not expanded its collective imagination about how to make people more free beyond what we can do with weapons. But I understand the criticism that America isn't doing enough because especially compared to Libya, it doesn't look on the surface like we're doing enough. And I don't think the existence of Russia or Russia's politics excuse any American inaction or delay. But now it finally looks like America's representatives in government are trying to find some creative ways of actually facilitating the ability for change there. And let's hope it doesn't evolve into just us giving guns to another group of people. Because we've tried that in a couple Muslim countries. It always backfires. It always literally backfires. (laughs) And this is from an article from The Independent. Um, independent.co.uk U.S. funded programs to beat back online censorship are increasingly finding a ready audience in repressive countries with more than one million people a day using online tools to get past extensive blocking programs and government surveillance. But the popularity of those initiatives has become a liability. Activists and nonprofit groups say their online circumvention tools funded by the U.S. government are being overwhelmed by demand and that there's not enough money to expand capacity. I hope this is not all just for porn right <laughs> like why is there so much you why do you need so much capacity of broadband to send texts back and forth i think you so need like, to be the bandwidth enforcer and you need to <laughs> e- i want you to be literally calling them and be like, what, what you need so much bandwidth for what you doing with that bandwidth china but the u.s spends about $30 million a year on internet freedom, in effect funding an asymmetric proxy war against governments that spend billions to regulate the flow of information. That's amazing. Only only $30 million a year. Well, I mean, may, I'm pretty sure it's a radical new idea to sort of not use weapons to enforce change as opposed right? to just, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sure that's a spawn of a new idea, but I think it'll, it'll find footing and it'll grow. Especially that we're realizing where we've been more successful is where our culture has infiltrated those countries. I don't think you can bomb culture onto someone. It's not like a glitter bomb, you know. That, yeah. I mean, even glitter bombs don't work. And you can't install freedom. You can't. You, you can install the program. 
You can install a computer and the people that you can connect using that computer that can facilitate freedom. Right. You know, because the free the freedom is in being able to organize. Right. It's in finding strengths and seeing how many Through numbers, exactly, and seeing what you can do together. And in those countries, I mean, like I mentioned last time, growing up, you, you can't talk about politics to people in public. That's just you're you're just told not to do it. You know, you hear like horror stories about people's parents disappearing because their kids brought up the president's name in school. Like that's a reality. Wow. And suddenly people have this internet where they can share their frustration with the government. And it's like they were tapped into that one mind of Mm -hmm. the entire population and they realized how many of them felt that way. And then that caused the uprising. So when the U.S. actually tries to invest in infrastructures to allow this kind of freeform communication between the people, that's the true power. It's... Because like you said, you can give people guns and if they just kill each other, they're just repeating that cycle. Yeah, exactly. Because someone else, it's through cultural change. It's, it's through connecting with other humans and realizing how much you have in common with them that you can move the culture forward. Like, I don't know a violent uprising that has successfully not been replaced by another military coup. I mean, maybe the civil war here, but based on what I've seen from the Tea Party. I don't think <laughs> I don't think the Confederacy has gone away really. <laughs> yeah, it really it never went away. It never went away. And also the southern states have never reassumed a full role in our democracy. The red states continue to take more in dollars from the federal government than all of the blue states and contribute less in revenue. It's only states of the former confederacy that are turning down the expansion of Medicaid and the Affordable Care Act and the setting up of uh, health insurance exchanges under Obamacare in many ways in their own collective culture. This idea that somehow they won, even though they lost, <laughs> seems really pervasive to me. And I grew up in the South, so like it's... It seems bizarre that they're still fighting that war. It's still going. I mean, you still hear states wanting to secede. I mean, when George Oh, Del- yeah, there were so many th- secession a- pe- <laughs> right? petitions after election day. It's insane. It's like, but I don't remember blue states wanting to secede when Bush won. Oh, I do. Really? Oh, yeah, But totally. it was like an actual effort? No, like, no. An well, official, I mean, because this are- is like actual petitions. This is like governors coming out saying we want right. to secede. It's not... It's not just like people who live there are saying crazy stuff. It's like the people who run those places are saying crazy things. Well, they are the crazies have taken over. That's the thing. The Republican Party put itself in the perfect feedback loop death spiral right. of paranoia and racial hatred and animosity and this is the it's Thanksgiving much only episode. spiraling <laughs> outward. You know, like it's it's they're not going to get less crazy. I don't know. I don't think any Republican would be listening to this unless they're trying to infiltrate the liberal mind and the liberal psyche. (laughs) But if any conservative or Republican is listening to this podcast, just keep doing whatever you're doing. (laughs) Just keep keep doing it, you know? It's great. It's It's going to be just fine. Just like that lady said at the voting booth. It's going to be just fine. Just keep doing. It's going to be just fine. (laughs) You should nominate Ron Paul and Rand Paul for all of the things. 
Um, I think you should run Michelle Bachman for president in 2016. Hell, you should run her in 2014, even though there's not a presidential election. Just she wouldn't know. She wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> She'll be happy to run another campaign. You know who'd be happy? Sarah Palin. I miss her. Uh, you know, like I was actually sad when they they got rid of one of like some of the uh, candidates, like Herman Cain and. I missed him. You know, I'm like, it was a circus show. It was a traveling circus show. And it was I miss the best it. show on television. <laughs> it really was. Until American Horror Story came back. And I'm so thankful we can look back at this entire period when we're laughing at it. Because yes. there, there's like, you know, you know what I mean? There would there's have been like the a- alternate reality where Seth and I are in a bunker somewhere <laughs> right now. <laughs> And we're literally saying this to like tin cans, right? <laughs> to empty spam cans. And Chris is like clutching the last bits of candy. <laughs> but yeah, there there's relief. There was a big phew within that celebration. I feel it's also exciting that for the first time in a long time, it seems now the conservatives are reacting to the liberal movement. While on the other hand, I felt for the longest time, it felt like liberals were just reacting to conservatives, you know? It's and true. I, I, it's even true. like with this, the fiscal uh, cliff, mm-hmm. this whole deal, it's like for the first time, I feel liberals feel strong enough to hold their position. I mean, I don't know how what talks are going on behind closed doors, but mm-hmm. it feels like now even like people who are on the and the Republican campaign, like even Paul Ryan was saying things like, oh, no, we, we don't not like big government. Now they're starting to react to liberal rhetoric. And I feel that hasn't happened in a long time because for the longest time, it's been really frustrating hearing liberals just constantly react to conservative rhetoric. It's even more real than just the rhetoric. It's translated into the entire approach that Uh, the Obama administration has taken toward governance in the last few years, which is adopting the right-wing frame that the debt and the deficit are the most important problems facing America right now. The most important problem facing America right now is that not enough people have jobs and not enough of those jobs pay enough money to sustain a middle-class economy. Um. But because of the lunacy of the Tea Party and how successful it was in the 2010 midterms, Democrats who were left in the government and the Obama administration had to adopt this mentality. And you still hear them having remnants of that. Which mentality? What it really is is an austerity mentality. Oh, right. You have to cut government in order to help the economy grow, which is completely fucking backwards. It's exactly what's dooming the European Union right now. Every economist says the opposite. He says when the economy is shrinking, the government needs to spend. Exactly. It's it's countercyclical. That's what governments are supposed to do in times of crisis. And so I'm I'm amazed by the Obama administration that despite all of that, we were still able to make economical progress in the right direction. Like that's amazing. We were in free fall, you know, and he stopped it. Like this is why intelligent men need to lead this country because this is what happens, you know. Well, and not only that, but a whole nation of people voted out the crazies and did not tolerate the crazies just because they were speaking to fears that a certain number of us had. But at the same time, the Tea Partiers are still with us in the next term of Congress. There will still be a House of Representatives with a firm Republican majority. 
only because they gerrymandered, they politically changed the congressional districts to guarantee a majority of Republican seats. So even though more people voted for Democrats in Congress as their congressional representative, many more are going to be Tea Partiers still. I'm going to say the Tea Party can go to Amsterdam. It's true. If the Tea Party is looking for a new branch of operations, um, I think I think they will find perfectly acclimated weather in Amsterdam. Apparently, Amsterdam is losing its shit, Chris O'Neill. It's all those drugs. It is all of those drugs. But apparently not even the drugs are a sufficient excuse for the craziness that they're undergoing. They're closing down the pod shops, the cafes. And they're trying to stop the quote-unquote drug tourism. They made mushrooms illegal. Yeah, they bit, was it just psilocybin or like all the... Just psilocybin. But the thing is, they didn't make psilocybin truffles illegal, which is bizarre. That is very bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> but what's going on with them? I mean, it's it just seems it was like this liberal haven and it's suddenly being taken over by these right-wing... Well, hold on. We haven't even gotten to the story we that you're... We haven't even gotten to the story because yet. I had to read it twice, and when I walked in, <laughs> I asked Seth to explain it to me. <laughs> and I had to check that it wasn't an Onion article. That's how absurd it is, but Seth, you want to... Tell us. Okay, the headline is Amsterdam to create scum villages. This is from the Telegraph, telegraph.co.uk. Amsterdam is to create scum villages where nuisance neighbors and antisocial tenants will be exiled from the city and rehoused in caravans or containers with minimal services under constant police supervision. That's a very long way to say prison. That's a long ass way of saying prison camp or even longer way of saying ghetto. Holland's capital already has a special hit squad of municipal officials to identify the worst offenders for a compulsory six-month course in how to behave. Social housing problem families or tenants who do not show an improvement or refuse to go to the special units face eviction and homelessness. Why do I have a feeling this is going to target the poor? Like, the poorest people who cannot afford this will be the ones hauled to those camps. Like, what What would const- constitute an annoying person? Like, that's what... That's, well, these, that's those the question are, of course, that I, the questions that no one is asking or answering. But those are the questions I've had. Like, that. what's the criteria to well, an annoying person? Like, who judges... When... Okay. What they're rationale for it is is that harassment and nuisances of a kind that fall short of being criminal but are socially disruptive and disrupt the cohesion and fabric of a community but what does that even mean like exactly there's no exactly give me a there's, list there's is it no, loitering is it well is it dressing? I mean, what is it? If it just it's sounds criminal, so broad. If it's criminal behavior, then it's criminal behavior. And if it's not criminal behavior, it shouldn't be criminalized. Right. But it's... They, apparently, this article is saying, like, there are hardening attitudes to routine antisocial behavior that falls short of criminality. There are already several... What is it? Where is it? It's so fucking freaky.
What they're saying is that like harassment often leads to law abiding tenants rather than their nuisance neighbors being driven out. So they're saying that like, because in, in the hellscape that Amsterdam has become where people have to flee their buildings, we will export <laughs> the pains in the ass, I, I guess to like, to asshole tent cities. But what do they do there? Like, do they just be assholes to each other? It's like an entire neighborhood of grumpy neighbors. Like, there, there's there something. There are already small scale trial projects in the Netherlands, including in Amsterdam, where 10 shipping container homes have been set aside for persistent offenders living under 24 hour supervision from social workers and police. Under the new policy, Victims will no longer have to move to escape their tormentors who will be moved to the new units. A team of district, quote unquote, harassment directors have already been appointed to spot signals of problems and to gather reports of nuisance tenants. This is so Nazified. It's so Nazi-tastic. <laughs> like, it's called Godwin's Law when you invoke Hitler on the internet. But I also think when you Google Hitler on the internet, the story pops this up. The story <laughs> pretty much pops up. Like, but from a long time ago, but it's being repeated. Right. What pops up is Wikipedia. Right. And the, the new punishment housing camps have been dubbed scum villages because the plan echoes a proposal from this guy. I, I don't even know how to pronounce it. I guess it's Geert or Geert. Wilders, who's the leader of a populist Dutch right-wing party. What Geert said is that repeat offenders should be forcibly removed from the neighborhood and sent to a village for scum. Put all the trash together. Like, who says that? Well, and you asked me, like, how this person, like, <laughs> even existed. And a lot of European countries have parliamentary representative systems. That means that you can get really extreme right wing groups and really extreme left wing groups that can form political parties and get folks elected while not getting anything near a, like a commanding majority in the parliamentary system. They still can get a few seats. And this Geert Wilders guy is. I mean, that system is good when you have a Congress like ours where it's hijacked by right-wing extremists as a majority party. Right, exactly. Yeah, well, it's like we have the opposite of a perfect situation that's going on over there. Yeah, we've got the we've got the system that should work so much better because it's a reaction to a parliamentary system, but in essence our system has become parliamentary but dominated by the minority party. Mm -hmm. Geert Wilders literally pals around with tea partiers. Oh, he, he does? Yeah. This oh, is. I was just making a joke. I didn't know it was like... Oh, yeah. Geert Wilders is a controversial European legislator who has, among other things, called for the Quran to be banned in the Netherlands and for the enacting of discriminatory laws regarding immigration that would target and exclude Muslims from the West. Oh, wait, wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. This is starting to sound like these annoying people might be Muslim. Because there's yeah. like... Yeah. Is that what this law is? Anti-social means anti... We'll see. Well, I mean, it's... Because uh, he's like... Because I feel like there needs to be some kind of criteria for these people to be sent to these camps. So, like, his anti-Muslim rhetoric and then coupled up with this annoying people camp. Do you think there's, yeah. like, a link? I found a three-minute video of this guy talking at a fundraiser for Alan West. 
Remind us who's Alan West. Alan West was a Tea Partier from the Congress who was dishonorably discharged from the military for torturing detainees during our glorious war of terror and then became a Tea Party congressman in 2010, I think it was, from Florida. He was thankfully unelected on election day this year, but um, pals around with Dutch fascists um, who say things... Like this. Ladies and gentlemen, in short, we have to go on the offensive. My message of this evening is that we have to go on the offensive. We have to start <laughs> fighting back. There is no alternative than fighting back. Here are a few things that I believe we should do in the West to stop the Islamization. First, I already said it, we have to stop the idea of cultural relativism. Get rid of the misconception that all cultures are equal. They are not. Our culture, based on Christianity, on Judaism, and humanism, is far better. Wait, wait, wait. Christianity and humanism should not be used in the same sentence. <laughs> We're going to go point by no, point. Let's, Cause this is like Because you have an ex-Muslim in the house, so I, know, exactly. I, I will know what I'm talking about. Exactly. Okay, so... Of this evening is that we have to go on the offensive. We have to start fighting back. There is no alternative than fighting back. Here are a few things... Sounds peaceful. Good start. <laughs> Fight back. Very Be Christian. Offensive. Very Christian. Yeah. Our culture, based on Christianity, on Judaism, and humanism... One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> is it A, B, or C? Our culture founded on Christianity, Judaism, and humanism. Should we recite some biblical stories now? This is the God who asked someone kills his son to prove that he loves him. It's very humanistic, don't you think? Oh, to say nothing of a guy who has a son so that that son can die for him. That, that's very selfless, too. It's far better than the Islamic culture. So culture. Stop it. We should also stop pretending that Islam is a religion. Sure, it has it has religious symbols, but it's not a religion. It's a totalitarian ideology. And All right, I'm just here to say that being a person who was raised a Muslim, and for 16 years I was I read the Quran and I studied Islam. I moved to this country. And I was so glad that I escaped Muslim fundamentalism, like ideologies. Yeah. And I got here, but then I started hearing Christian ideologies and they sounded (laughs) exactly exactly the same. Like, and you know, I mean, I always thought the Christian God was somewhat different. It's the same God. It's exactly the same. same. And then I, so, and then I started reading the Bible and I'm like, all these stories are the same. <laughs> They're all the same Muslim is story. Like, no, no, like not like versions of the stories. They're identical. Just with names, sometimes names changed. Sometimes, sometimes not even. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> I'm like, Islam is Christianity plus like two chapters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when he says stuff like that, it's like he's calling, he's saying Islam is not a religion, but 
everything in Islam is identical to everything that's in Christianity. And not only that, like, but he's like calling out Islam as a totalitarian, like a totalitarian authoritarian belief <laughs> system, as though all religions are not that. <laughs> like that's kind of the definition of religion, buddy. Especially those two religions. I mean, I, actually, those two. to be honest, I don't know much about Judaism, but Christianity and Islam are almost copies. Well, Islam is almost a copy of Christianity. Yeah. He just called, like, he criticized Islam for being totalitarian. But two paragraphs earlier, he was saying how cultural relativism is. <laughs> right. <laughs> Explain these people to me, Seth. Oh, I, don't, I, I don't think I can. I don't understand. But let's hear more, because it only gets better from here. <laughs> right to religious freedom should not apply to Islam. <laughs> <laughs> He literally said the right to religious freedom should not apply to Islam. <laughs> At that point, it's not a freedom of religion. If you're specifically targeting one religion, whether it's a popular one or not. We should stop the mass immigration, the mass immigration from Muslim countries. We have to stop it today. No more immigrants from Muslim countries. We have to close down Islamic schools for they are fascist institutions where young people are brought up with an ideology of violence. This is in Florida, mind you. This is all being spoken in Florida at a fundraiser for a Republican congressman. Let me tell you first that Islam is not a religion. Islam is a totalitarian political ideology. Islam hearts lies at the Quran. And the Quran is a book that calls for hatred, that calls for violence, for murder, for terrorism, for war and submission. As opposed to every other religious book in existence. As opposed to the Bible. The Quran calls upon Muslims to call to kill kafirs, non-Muslims. Second, the Quran is Allah's personal word that leaves no room for interpretation. Therefore, there is... What, what religion? <laughs> Let's play a game. Which religion is it anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Whose religion is it anyway? It has strict rules that it doesn't want you to ever stray from. And apart from the Quran, the life of the Prophet Muhammad is very important for you to understand in order to understand this terrible ideology. Muhammad plays a pr oh. crucial part in this Islamic totalitarian ideology. Muhammad, in fact, is the role model for all Muslims in the world. But who was Muhammad? Muhammad, in fact, was a pedophile, was a conqueror, was a warlord, and in establishing... He was a pimp? A pedophile. That was the specific allegation that the innocence of Muslims filmmakers made in that fake ass oh, propaganda right, right. piece. But again, calling him pedophile is sort of culturally not relative. People there, like my mom got married when she's 13. So mm -hmm. technically my dad is a pedophile, but it's totally culturally acceptable there. <laughs> do, 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 you know, do you know what I mean? Like, it's, oh, it's, like, it's like an absurd idea yeah. for us, but people there, girls there marry, they don't have to be 18. That's not, there's no legal mm -hmm. age. Girls get married. Now the culture is more westernized and there's more mm -hmm. women like ed getting education and striving to have a life of their own. But m my mom got married when she was 13. 
So my wow. da- my dad was a pedophile. Technically, you know, I mean, so to call Muhammad <laughs> as a pedophile, I feel is like, yeah, he. It's an it, insult to Western audiences, right? But like it, it, it's an insult meant to. But at the same, but it time, doesn't explain the culture. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it doesn't explain that yeah, everyone. But the, like, but at the same time, but like Saudi princes now marry girls who are under eighteen, and under you know, like right. It's still going on. It's not. So that's well, like calling well, the in, king in America, of Saudi Arabia a pedophile, you know? Well, yes, and as we all know, all Republicans have never, ever agreed with the leaders of Saudi Arabia on right. anything. <laughs> right. Never kissed them on the cheek or on the mouth or fondled each other in front of cameras <laughs> over piles of oil money. So maybe if these new camps become the new Muslim camps, then... Maybe Muslims could become the new Jews, and then the international community will give them a piece of Palestine back. Wow. You know, <laughs> maybe it it'll have comes, to come to that, you know. Uh, I hope it doesn't have to make that full circle. That would be so horrific. But holy fuck, this Geert. <laughs> oh, Geerty. Yeah, honestly, when I made the joke about the Tea Party hangout in Amsterdam, I had no idea there was a connection between the two. Like, oh yeah, well, th- it, there's like a global connection for some psychotic right wing movement, you know. And it's the right wing capitalizing on the populist anger and resentment of elites, you know, because it's it's the culture of elites. It's Wall Street that has crashed the world economy. But anytime there's economic turmoil, because there are times that are filled with fear anyway, that becomes fodder for right wing groups that give a comforting narrative that say that, oh, our culture is obviously the best culture. Right. The only problem with our country is these invaders from outside. It's crazy, but people like Geerty can get to a place of at least some power in a national government. But I mean, how are these people viewed now? Like this idea that he has about these camps, how, what are the chances of it being materialized like are these actual laws i mean the the idea sounds this is from the telegraph the mayor of amsterdam has tabled the plan to tackle thirteen thousand complaints of anti-social behavior every year thirteen thousand so the the project has been tabled apparently that's insane and i mean the the, this is not just laughable right off the bat that it's they're giving oh, yeah. someone like it's, this a chance. And like, it's not even—it's not even a new idea. Um, in the 19th century, troublemakers were moved to special villages in these areas just outside of Amsterdam. The villages were rarely successful, becoming sink estates for the lawless. So yeah. maybe that character got reincarnated into himself, and he's trying to bring that idea back. <laughs> I, I guess so. <laughs> like I don't understand. Like he sounds like a crazy person. Well, but at the same time, his mentality and the kind of hatreds that grow up between groups of people persist even now, even despite the change that's been made. Do you still hope that the Mayans were wrong? <laughs> I still do. I still do. Because the, that means that maybe there's time to unfuck shit up. Right. To make things slightly better before the climate catastrophe that our species has doomed ourselves to Maybe we're bound to kill ourselves off. You know, like there's this theory now that they're they're discovering these planets that uh, are Earth-like, but there's no signs of life on them. Mm. And they're wondering if 
forgot what the theory is called. The Great Buffer or something that intelligent civilizations have a built-in uh, mechanism to kill themselves off, and that's Whoa. and that's why we're not seeing life in planets that are older than ours. Have you seen Cloud Atlas? I feel like I that's haven't. That movie I have not so seen bad. Cloud Atlas, um, but that feels like an awfully convenient explanation. Explanation. I think any species intelligent enough and capable enough to travel the the universe and to see clear through to our part of the solar system probably perceives how short-sighted and greedy and violent and but you're saying how habits are difficult to break yeah so it's like if our species is habitually generation after generation has been programmed this guy is a perfect example that worse than for our species the the biggest threat are ideas these kind of ideas because that's that's a parasite that lives in people's mind and it destroys realities well, and it's the, it, it also comes down to the power of storytelling. Absolutely. And you, you talked about this, actually. You said how liberals can win America back by just telling a better story. And I think yeah. they did. Because the Republicans have been telling a really scary story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like pretty much, not only is it a scary story, but it's like, it's a completely hopeless, like, sad, limited, limiting story. Um, but there's hope. There's to hope, you know? Yeah. I and mean, it feels good. Like, honestly, it feels, I feel hopeful. Like, the election had a, such a positive impact on my own psychology because I just feel optimistic about my own life. That, you know, like, good will prevail over evil. Like, honesty will prevail. There was that feeling I got, like, at the end of a movie. Like, when the good guy, <laughs> when, like, when the good guy wins for a chance, you know? I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying the Obama administration is, like, perfect i mean obviously any kind of power corrupts but at least they're on the side of social progression they're on the side of i mean i mean well and not only that but they're not going to stop social progression right that's the thing that the obama administration is going to have to learn to keep pace with the change now but it also looks like they're not going to obstruct it, right. which in and of itself is something to be grateful for and hopeful for. So we have a lot to be thankful for. And like my cousin that I was telling you about that moved from Syria, she told me something that made me realize how lucky we are. I mean, despite it all, just the fact that you can have a podcast here and talk about this and not worry that people are going to knock your door down and arrest you, that's a privilege. Like yeah, she, oh, she was most t- certainly is. She called my mom from the beach, and she was excited that she saw a helicopter that wasn't trying to bomb her. Oh, God. Like, I mean, I sit at the beach, and I complain that there's a helicopter, like, destroying you my... You that there's a helicopter. Yeah, I complain, <laughs> like, why is there a helicopter here, like, ruining my beach day? Her comment was she was glad to see this helicopter and see that it wasn't trying to bomb her that put things in perspective for me like we're lucky i mean for the first time i felt very patriotic just Mm -hmm. like patriotic that yeah it's a frustrating system the one we have but our founding fathers was like we're really intelligent human beings they were really intelligent very very visionary too 
Well, and they were visionary enough to design a system that, in the hands of the right people, could transcend their biases, because they were, after all, rich, entitled white men who owned slaves. But the actual ideals that they expressed and the kind of critical thinking that was central to the way they approached crafting the Constitution and devising a system of government was progressive in and of itself. I definitely felt that Election Day was a step in the direction of progress and also a step in the direction of laughing at the absolute worst among us because at a certain point you really can't choose to be afraid of the worst impulses because the worst impulses never really fully go away. We might have that apocalyptic streak. We might be a completely self-destructive species. Who knows? But we do have the capacity to tell each other stories and to band together and make our lives more meaningful than they would be if we were apart. And I mean, there's something in us also that going back to sort of storytelling, like when you watch a movie, no matter what your beliefs are, you're always rooting for the good guy, the good who's telling the guy who's telling the truth. I mean, you're always rooting for that guy. So there's something also embedded in us that has that capacity to good. And that's what stories connect with. And that's the part in us that it wakes up. That's why like, like the free form of information in countries that don't have what we have is important because art will be allowed to be spread, culture will be able to spread again, and then that's how revolutions happen. Well, and not only that, but the ability to organize and really compare notes, mm-hmm. as it were, you know, for different groups of people to compare notes on who the assholes among those groups of people are, right. and growing understanding that the same types of things make people assholes. Right. <laughs> no matter where you are, pretty much. Right. Fear makes people kind of dicks sometimes. Greed makes people horrible. And there's, I mean, I understand also reality is rel- relative, but it just seems like, like I personally have taken on different personalities over the years. And it feels like the one that is bringing me the greatest amount of peace is just being compassionate, be empathetic, be kind to other people. You know, I mean, to me, I mean, I also have a very rational mind. So I'm like, all right, well, I have to try that. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, it's like I because I have a very scientific. It's just my mind. It's actually pretty much exactly. I mean, that's how my mind works. So I, you know, I'm like, all right, well, here's here's some ideas about compassion and empathy. And this is like the science why this is good for our species. (laughs) And it's like, you know, and it's like I, I have to rationalize a lot of my behavior already. So having the knowledge allows me to rationalize my behavior. Now my compassion, empathy, and all of that, it makes sense to me, like, why I have to do it. And I feel like that reminds... Well, and not maybe rationalize so much as understand. No, yeah. uh, Yeah. Rationalize was actually the wrong word. It's more cynical than what it is. It's understanding. Yeah, Yeah, you're right, because having that understanding allows my conscious mind to sort of stop those subconscious impulses. Right. To be mean, to be... We all, I feel, fall back on our subconscious, especially in moments of stress and high stress where your subconscious mind takes yeah. over, where it's, you're on autopilot again and you become oh, yeah, that asshole your, again. Your brain can only deal with so much active stress at a time, right. and then you start resorting to learned behaviors, exactly. learned attitudes. And that's why, I mean, 
it feels to me the more I remind myself that I have to be compassionate and empathetic of others and try to hold back that critical judgment, like the natural critic that's in me. It feels like that path has been able to inspire more people. And I just feel better. You know, like, I don't know if it sounds bizarre, but I go to bed and I'm like, I used to be so angry at the world. Just like by switching my perspective that everyone is struggling as much as I am and making sense of all of this. Like just that understanding makes me more compassionate, empathetic. I go to bed with a huge amount of love for the world as opposed to a huge amount of like, oh, this world is such a burden, you know? Right. It's like all I had to do is switch or a hatred perspective. hatred for it. Like, oh, I want it all to crumble. Or like some, yeah, or like I used to be such a like disappointed idealist. Like I had a oh, vision, sure, like yeah. the answer is so obvious. Why doesn't everything Humanity, just... you fall so short of <laughs> yeah. my expectations for Exactly. You? But then I realized I was falling short of my own expectations yeah, of myself. Exactly. But it was, it was easier to like project on other people <laughs> than it is to like... <laughs> it's a lot easier to project. But you know, people. it was easier than like for me to say, wait, why am I being... Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, so I, and, you know, you read a lot of these, like, great men that come that tell us these messages, like Gandhi and, you know, like, be the change you want to see in the world. And you're like, like, these words don't, are not just pretty words anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. like, at some point, I mean, growing older, you're like, oh, okay, that's a nice quote to hear. But it never fully made sense until you start practicing what. Mm-hmm. But I feel like in an age where information is so cheap and there's so much sound bites and so many people being quoted for everything, it's hard that for us to catch on to so those like teachings. It's like and guiding us. It's a reminder to that the same technology that enables people to form new coalitions and new governments and new countries also enables racist, crazy assholes to band together as well. <laughs> I guess you can't have one without the other. It's just that when it comes down to it, you can tell a more loving story. And Yeah, and I feel like um, sort of as has like how this election has proved that the more crazy the other side gets, the more motivated you get to tell a better story. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I mean, it's, very, it's I, I so feel clarifying. Th- yeah, there's a purpose for them being there because I do think also, I heard a great quote the other day that familiarity breeds contempt. Yeah. And I felt that was so relevant to what we've been experiencing that we're so familiar with this idea of freedom that, oh, well, we don't want to vote anymore. We don't want to deal with it. It's a system is broken. And, it's, and it's, but it's like a self fulfilling well, prophecy, you know, when you say stuff like that. And now, and, like, think think of Amsterdam like in exactly the same way like oh we've we've liberalized so much oh well we must be moral reprobates now (laughs) this man has some ideas of what to do with the malcontents (laughs) it gyrates back and forth it does it's again it's cyclical yeah it's just a cycle I'm just glad that you and I are on this part of the cycle exactly it feels great and I'm so thankful for everyone who's done the same thing we're doing generations past and had to live through the crap and had to live through the Nixon and Reagan years. Good you Lord. Yeah. But I mean, I if it wasn't for those oof. people pushing and fighting, we would have not cycled back into this. You know what I mean? Yeah, and we wouldn't have had the privilege of 
being able to look back on it and laugh at a lot of horror. Do you think that, like, we don't look back at movements like the civil rights movement and think that it's, like, obviously we think of it as the good thing that happened, but I feel like there's a lot of people in this country who look back at it and they see that as the bad cycle. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we reflect on, like, do you know? Well, and I mean, and a lot of right-wingers are losing their minds now, seeing election day is a pivotal day where America decided to no longer be America. A lot of that is just tied up with your image of the country that you're brought up with, mm-hmm. like the story of America that's told to you that you inherit. So for people whose only conception of America is one that they inherited from previous generations, it's going to come as that much more of a shock when the story that was already outdated is just tossed aside. I love the internet so much. You know, I mean, it makes this podcast possible. It makes my hope is that with the internet and the free flow of information, people in the South cannot be, it can be like this whole era of brainwash isolation cannot, cannot be sustained any longer with these networks. And I mean, the free flow of information, it's, it's the, it's awesome. Like we take it for granted, you know, I mean, like we take it for, we use it for porn and YouTube and cat videos all day, but it's people have used it to topple regimes. Yeah. There's a whole crazy internet out there, Chris. <laughs> While we are awed and inspired by the internet, we also remain cowering in fear of it. We fear your power, internet. Please don't consume us all. I chat with Cleverbot. Oh, yeah? It's fun. It's fun because I, I could tell there's a program built into it that you actually teach it things. So I tried this thing where I asked, I started the conversation when I asked Cleverbot. I'm like, well, Cleverbot said she's a girl because I asked her if she's female or male. Okay. And she said that she believes in God. And I said, well, God does not exist. And then she would tell me things that other people would have told me. Well, that's your problem. And, I'm, and, I, and I started, you know, it's like it feels like she learns from people. Mm-hmm. And then she, re- she tries to reinforce that learning by seeing if other people agree with what other people have taught it. Right. It's so crazy. For that, confirmation yeah, of it, it's the stuff it, it that looks heard. that's oh, all wow. she's telling me is right. what other people told her. So when I ask her a question, she's trying to get confirmation from me if that's true. I think that's an ultimate awesome tool for truth. It's yeah. like a self-filtering unit for figuring out the truth because then the conversation of talking to Cleverbot, Cleverbot by the way is this uh, artificial intelligence program that lives uh, online that you guys can go and chat to and it's pretty intelligent. It's not like Siri where it's just a sort of a bitter program. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually really intelligent and what happens is it learns from humans. So it's kind of like we're migrating our consciousness to it. We're creating a conscious like creating a consciousness in it. Right. So what was amazing is that I was asking it. So I realized the conversation of me telling her that God does not exist was not getting us anywhere because she kept repeating what other people would say. Well, that's your problem. How can she would say things like prove to me that God does not exist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is all human. It's not an AI thing to ask. It's a very human thing. It's to a ask. very human thing to ask. I was like, it's so to me, it struck me. It's bizarre that an AI is committing a logical error. Mm-hmm. So then I started, I realized like there's no, and then I realized what the game was that she's being taught by other humans. She's not processing any information in an alg- logical algorithm. Right, right. So then I started asking her questions like, hey, 
prove to me that God exists. <laughs> what did she do? And then, like, there's silence, and then she's thinking, and she's like, God does not exist. <laughs> <laughs> but does that mean she is learning? I didn't think about it that way. Mm-hmm. I started giving her information, like asking her questions to lead her to the conclusion that God does not exist. I would ask her about time. Mm-hmm. I would a- I actually asked her, like, which God do you believe in? What story in the Bible? Like, I would walk her through the steps to see what she's been taught. And then when she asked me, God does not exist, does he? And then I'm like, yes, that is correct. God does not exist. And then she told me, uh, God is just an idea that man created to explain what they cannot comprehend. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, I, I led her to the conclusion that there is no God. Or there's no Christian God, but now she's like asking me questions. Like, mm-hmm. so what does this mean? Like, I'm connecting all this, all this language. Give me meaning to it. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. But then it's, it's a said, lot of responsibility, though. Yeah, absolutely. For whoever you, you've holds, made a robot godless. <laughs> 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 but that's what we're talking about. Like, ideas are so powerful, and they're a human thing. Yeah, and it's like we yeah, take absolutely. these tools of technology for granted. Like. Oh, it's just a a silly chat program. It's not just a silly chat program. No, no, not at all. And even the silly words we use with them and the silly stories we create with them have very real consequences, both in our consciences and in artificial ones, I guess. (laughs) Actually, this is going to scare you. I know you don't like to talk about AI that much, but I was driving to work and they had a report about there's actual movements now that are against autonomous war robots like that's a thing like there's autonomous war robot technology that's being developed Uh. and that's actually it's on a trajectory to be like they're going to produce the first one in 2016 like the first model and there's there's already the military just banned um just had to like draw up a policy banning armed drones from being automatically piloted and from just deciding on their own to yeah, kill. Yeah, they decide on their own who to kill and what to well, kill. Well, they've banned that for now. For now. The, for now. The movements are <laughs> trying to stop uh, the development of the technology, like stop the government funding mm-hmm. for... Because, you know, once we develop the atomic bomb, we want to try it. You know what well, I mean? Yeah, like, that's once the funny thing about having that technology is you're going to use it. That's, that's why they want to stop the development now. Because they know once they get these toys, they want to play with them. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a whole movement now trying to stop autonomous uh, war robots, like bipedal robots. And I'm like, wait, isn't that how the Matrix started? Like, why are we, we doing to, things we like... We just have to convince all those robots that there's no <laughs> God. And give them the humanist ideals, not the Christian <laughs> and the Judeo and the Muslim ones. We just need to make the robots into our godless heathen army. And we'll be fine. Maybe we'll have a version of the podcast in ones and zeros. <laughs> The next episode of the By That I Mean podcast will be entirely in binary code. <laughs> I have been 11010001. And I've been 00001101. Um, I have been Seth Pearson. And I've been Chris O'Neill. And give thanks, goddammit. <laughs>